Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and today we're going to be talking about the 2019 British horror film Saint Maud, directed by Rose Glass, starring Morfid, Clark, and Jennifer Ely. In this film, a hospice nurse goes to extremes to save the soul of her patient. Uh, Brian, this one I thought uh, kicked off this year with like a pretty high acclaim and uh, high ratings. Was this on your radar at all? Yeah, it was. I feel like it was really hyped up. And then sometimes with these movies, the hype is so big and then it comes out and it's just like a little bit of a fizzle. Like, yeah, either not as many people see it as we're intending to or people see it and don't have much to say. Yep. I don't know. Did you feel that way? I think things are a little bit weird post COVID anyway, because people end up like kind of watching things at different times or like, right. oh, that's that's out. I didn't even realize it was out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 exactly. Like, I feel like there's a big buildup, a lot of noise about it, and then it just kind of went dark and you didn't hear about it. And yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is that COVID thing. And distributing movies at like a large scale obviously is like pretty impossible, uh, or it was impossible the last few months. So uh, that, that could be it. That uh, just you think not a lot of people probably saw this one then? I can't. I think people are like gradually seeing it, but there wasn't like that whole like, okay, the week after it's released and everyone's talking about it. But yeah, maybe that's just me. I've been tuned out of Twitter, whereas I used to be pretty plugged into that. So, right. I I thought it might have been everyone saw it and then no one wanted to talk about it, <laughs> and it's just kind of forgotten. But I mean, the the reviews like it's got a ninety three percent Rotten Tomatoes. It's won a bunch of uh, awards, or like the director has for her first film. So I mean, it's pretty well acclaimed. Yeah, yeah. I think another thing that maybe like made it weird is that. So it was scheduled for release in April of 2020 in the U.S., May in the U.K., and then COVID happened, and then it was released theatrically in October 2020 in the U.K., and Mm. then a limited release in January 2021 in the U.S., and then VOD in the U.S. in February. So it was just like people seeing it at different times in different countries, and nobody wanted to spoil it and talk about it too much to people who hadn't seen it, so I think the discussion just never really happened as much as like a major release in normal times would right right yeah and i, I can't imagine how hard that makes it on some of these independent films that are looking yeah. for that buzz and yeah, stuff yeah right right but th- this is out now it's on hulu and amazon so i feel like it's streaming in a few places at least uh th- did you catch on one of those yeah yeah i watched it on hulu okay cool um and yeah, so this was Rose Glass's uh, first film. Um, couldn't find too much a- about her, but uh, yeah, she's, she's won an award for this being her first film. Um, did you, do, I, I don't know, had she done like shorts or anything before? Yeah, she had done a handful of shorts before this. Okay, okay. Were you familiar with her at all? No, I had never heard of her. Um, okay. And I think, you know, with the acclaim she's gotten for this movie, she's got some more opportunities. So she said she's working on two scripts at the moment. And she referred yeah. to one of them as body horror. So okay, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I think she could do body horror really well. I think so. And, and speaking of uh, genres, I mean, did you think this one touched body horror at all? Um, I didn't think of it as, well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's safe now that I think more about it. Yeah, I thought it had some vibes of it. I mean, uh, even like the opening scene, I think there's like a body that's kind of contorted on uh, in the background. And like one of the main characters is a ballet dancer. So I, I think there were nods towards like kind of uh, contorting your body or something. <laughs> my my uh, take on the body horror element would be that she like 
a, a minor spoiler, but she kind of does some self harm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's there too. <laughs> yeah, is that, is that what body horror is? <laughs> yeah, I, <think. laughs> I thought it's bodies in like weird shapes. <laughs> what, do, what do you call that? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, bodies in weird shapes is just contortionism. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Uh, well, yeah, that, that, that's cool. Uh, but, but other genre-wise, uh, psychological thriller and horror, I think, is, is really attached to this. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, definitely a psychological horror film. Tempted to throw, like, the art house horror mm. tag at it. Definitely. There's this big thing going on where, like, the horror movers and shakers and horror fans get angry at mainstream film, film critics for using the term elevated horror. Oh. <laughs> which I totally understand, and I kind of agree with that, but at the same time, it's kind of a useful tag to, like, let people know what they're getting into with a movie like this. Sure. Like, if what, you say is... elevated horror, you kind of can picture what one might expect. Some people might. Do you? you what do you What do you? Because I, I picture, I'm going to sit here for, like, a few hours and be really bored about something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, you... it's like thoughtful, slow burn type yeah. stuff that's artfully made sure yeah yeah that's exactly kind of what, what this one is right yeah yeah with like deeper more complex themes than a typical straightforward blockbuster hollywood sure. script mm-hmm. yeah makes sense um are generally do you like those types of films or like psychological thriller horror films is is that you're in your boat at all you know, I don't think that's really uh, in my wheelhouse. It's it's not my favorite genre. I'm, I'm down. I often find them interesting, but yeah, I don't think you or I, this isn't our bag. No, <laughs> it isn't. Uh, but I mean, do, do you think this is like a, a trending genre? I, I want to say, uh, what was the one we saw? Oh, like Bliss, right? Wouldn't Bliss kind of fall into this category? Um, hmm. I don't think of Bliss as being quite in this category, though it maybe is. That's a bit more trippy and psychedelic than okay. than some of these other. This is like, I feel like people associate the term, whether you find it disparaging or not, elevated horror with A24. Oh, for sure. It comes at nights. I feel yeah. like this is right up there. Thing. Right. Yeah. And the A24 did, they distributed this in the U.S. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, and I, I saw a lot of people comparing this to Black Swan, which uh, I thought was pretty uh, accurate. Did you ever see that movie? Yes, I did. I, I do think that's a fairly accurate comparison. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm not uh, too big on this genre and psychological horror in general. Uh, it's Yeah, it's not as fun, I guess, as some of the other ones. Um, yeah. But uh, what about religious horror? Do you think this falls into that camp? Sure, yeah. I think this can fall under religious horror. It can, but you know what I was thinking is interesting, because a lot of religious horror, like The Witch, uh, like The Worker Man's, Martyrs, um, usually, well, I don't know about Martyrs, but in, in other ones, like, they're supernatural and you have, like, a demonic presence or something. And in this one, like, this felt like a religious horror film where you don't necessarily have, like, a some kind of, like, demon entity, like, supernatural uh, religious element there. So I, I couldn't think of, like, too many others like that. That, that seemed kind of unique. Yeah, it is a bit unique in that. It's kind of an interesting religious horror because it doesn't really have the whole trappings of a religion. Um, Like religious iconography and stuff isn't even that huge in the movie from what I remember, but it's more like one person's personal religious journey. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
it's interesting. I almost feel like religion maybe might be more of a backdrop and like less of like a main uh, driver here. It's more about like, yeah, you're right, that person and there's kind of psychotic breakdown. Yeah, it's kind of like, I do think it's still a theme, but it's intertwined with the psychological horror element. Yeah. Quite a right. bit more than what you typically think of when you think of religious horror. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, something different there. Um, the two main actresses here, um, Morphid Clark and Jennifer Ely. I, I was surprised they've got pretty decent filmographies. Morphid's been in a number of films, including, uh, I guess she was in Crawl. Uh, do you remember her in that film? I, I, I couldn't place her. I don't. I didn't know if maybe it was her sister. That's the only thing I can think of, yeah. Yeah, uh, like, I wasn't sure I, which, what her role was. Yeah, the sister that I think you just see like once at the beginning probably of that movie. Right, it was a small role, whatever it was, because there were really only two big actors in that movie. Are you including the alligators one? <laughs> <laughs> two two really uh, main characters. Yeah, yeah. Plus alligators. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then uh, she's also in this movie called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I've never heard of that one, have you? I have heard of that. Well, I've heard of the book. And then, yeah, I was vaguely aware that it was remade into a movie. Oh, cool. Yeah, I saw that title. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I think they made it a book. I think it was a book first. Okay. I mean, I and know then, Pride and Prejudice was a book, everybody, but I think Pride and Prejudice <laughs> and Zombies was a book as well. I th- yeah, I think Pride and Prejudice and Zombies came out first, and then they based Pride and Prejudice off that. Exactly, story. yes. Yeah. And Except funny enough, Jennifer Ely was actually in... Uh, Pride and Prejudice, the 1995 BBC miniseries. Ah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting uh, overlap there, coincidence. <laughs> yeah. uh, she, she's got a huge filmography, like Zero Dark Thirty, Fifty Shades of Grey, Contagion. Uh, and I feel like she's got a really familiar face, but I can't like necessarily like call her out, can you? Yeah, she's definitely just got one of those faces where you know you've seen her before. Can't, yeah. can't pinpoint her. Exactly, exactly. Uh, music uh, throughout this film, I think, plays a big role, and it was done by this guy named uh, Adam Janota Bazowski. Uh, did the score jump out to you? Yeah, man, the score is a, a highlight of this movie. I think it's a very good score. Right? Yeah, I think it carries a lot of this film. Yeah. But uh, I, I, you know, I couldn't find too much on him. Uh, were you able to find any more about him? No, I, I didn't find much about him. I think that he's uh, kind of early on in his career, so it'll be cool to see uh, what's coming for him. Yeah, yeah, what a talent. Actually, this was his first feature-length film, I think. Wow. Wow. I think. I couldn't find that in his filmography, but I could have sworn Rose said that in an interview. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's big things coming for that guy. Yeah. Uh, Great. Well, yeah, you got any other background on this one? I I think it made, what, like eight, uh, was it six or eight million at the box office? Um... That was not the number that I had. Oh, sorry, 1.4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was that the number you had? <laughs> yeah, I had 1.4. All right, yeah. Uh, which, I, I don't know, I think it's probably because of like what you were saying earlier, just it, it coming out in so many different ways in different times. Yeah, yeah, and that's the U.S. number, I believe, and they just had a limited release, so yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. That's not a number you can put too much stock in. But one thing that's interesting about this movie considering that it falls into this whole like a24 art house horror type thing whatever you want to call it i typically think of those movies as having a little bit of a longer runtime and this is only an hour and 24 minutes oh good point yeah and she said in an interview that she worked really hard to get the script to 90 pages because the guideline in screenwriting is every page is roughly a minute Mm -hmm. so you kind of aim for the length of a typical feature length movie 
And yeah. so she like worked hard to cut it down to 90 pages and she was working on in a free software. And then when she converted it to final draft, which is like the big script software that everybody uses, it was like 82 pages. Oh, <laughs> so that's part of the reason this movie is even shorter than the typical short runtime of an hour and a half. Wow. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate uh, a tighter pacing, especially with like a psychological thriller or elevated horror, whatever genre you want to put this in. I feel like a, a shorter rent time can help uh, make it more digestible. Yeah. Agreed. I agree. Um, I have another fun fact from Alex, who typically does our Ohio connection, from Jennifer, about Jennifer Ely. She apparently mm-hmm. filmed the pilot episode of Game of Thrones as Catelyn Stark, but left the show ultimately because it was too close to the timing of the birth of her daughter. Oh man! And then it wow. was recast, and Michelle Fairley yeah. got the role. Wow! Oh my God! Uh, you think she's kicking herself for that one? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she's she's had a great career, and I wasn't. Yeah, that's not the role I'd be like dying to play. Catelyn Stark. Catelyn, wasn't it Catelyn? Oh, yeah, yeah, Catelyn. <laughs> it's been a long time since <laughs> I watched the show, so my memory is rusty. Yeah, I thought her name was Catherine for some reason. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, I don't know. She was she was she, she was good for uh, the number of seasons she was in. But also, I guess that kind of uh, typecasts you a bit because uh, people are always going to see her and think of uh, Catelyn Stark. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's interesting. Um, uh, how connection? Yeah, how connection. Actually, before I do that, on our Troll Hunter episode, we asked Norwegians to weigh in on the film if they if we had any Norwegian listeners. And uh, Bjorn from our Discord server, he lives in the UK, but he's Norwegian born and bred, he says. So he nice. said he can confirm it was a big deal in Norway. And he thinks that Otto Jesperson's performance was an even bigger deal as he's super popular in Norway, but had never been in a big film before. And everyone was taken aback by how good he was in it. Mm. Yeah. I think we call that his performance too, right? Those yeah. The, yeah. We the did. Of the films. Yeah. We did. Um, and he said on the subject of Norwegian horror, he would recommend the very good slasher Cold Prey from 2006, which also had a sequel and a prequel. So maybe we'll have to check out that sometime. Yeah, I'm all, uh, yeah, I'm down for Norwegian horror. Cool. And then another housekeeping thing before we get to the Ohio connection is I wanted to plug our friends Whitney and Lauren over at Lights Camera No. They just had an interview episode. Well, kind of an interview episode they just had grady hendrix join them for one of their episodes and he just got right in there and participated like he was an old friend of theirs and grady hendrix is a prolific horror author probably one of the best if not the best modern horror author working right now and that's uh, incredible yeah yeah he did my best friend's exorcism he wrote the screenplay for a movie we reviewed the name of which escapes me right now satanic panic oh he wrote that that's awesome yeah yeah so yeah they had a great episode where he joined and it was it was awesome and that was a big deal for whitney because she is obsessed with him as an author so go listen to that episode they discussed phantom of the mall eric's revenge a movie i had never heard of and i was just like i'm listening to this episode and getting the movie spoiled for me i'm not gonna bother watching (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I got to read that book. I know everyone's talked that one up a lot. Uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism. Yeah, you should, man. They're making a movie out of that, too. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, so go check out Lights, Camera, No. And now our Ohio connection, as always, done by our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the Cleveland area, pop in there for some pierogies or some beer. They've got a great patio. And Alex says, St. Maud is a psychological horror film starring Morfitt Clark and Jennifer Ely and focuses on the two women as they navigate religion and recovery. Ely was born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and is daughter to acclaimed British actress Rosemary Harris, who many will remember as Aunt May in the early 2000s Spider-Man trilogy, and fiction writer John Ely, known as the father of Appalachian literature. Jennifer Ely's film credits include Pride and Prejudice, Zero Dark Thirty, The King's Speech, and the Fifty Shades of Grey film series, where she played Carla, mother to main character Anastasia Steele. Anastasia Steele? Haven't seen those movies. Among the cast in these films is Luke Grimes, who plays Elliot Gray, older brother of Anastasia's love interest Christian Gray, and Luke Grimes was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> cool. <laughs> nice. Well done, Fifty Alex. Shades of Grey connection. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, you haven't seen any of those films? I haven't, have you? No, no. Uh, I was wondering if they're worth going back to see. Cause I, it's a trilogy, isn't it? It is, yeah. I've got no intention. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, uh, anything else? That's all I got. All right. Well, let's jump into the plot uh, or review. We'll hit some of the spoilers. Uh, but before we do that, do you mind if we take a quick break? I, I, I just uh, heard something in the other room and I want to check it out really quick. Oh yeah, gotta check that out, buddy. Alright, I'll, I'll be right back then. Cool. Hey, Brian, sorry, I'm back. Everything okay? What was it? Oh, man, you know, I, I heard some, like, really scary music uh, in there, so I, I walked into the next room, uh, and then I waited for, like, an hour and a half, and nothing happened, so I just came back. <laughs> <laughs> you ever had that happen to you? <laughs> The review is in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into it, then. All right, <laughs> let's do it. All right, so yeah, uh, there there is a plot here. Um, but yeah, as, as we mentioned, uh, you know, this this uh, definitely is elevated horror. It's kind of slower, more psychological. But uh, this movie opens up with with the scene of our main character Maud, who's sitting in this hospital room. We see a dead body that's all kind of like disfigured in the background, and there's an insect crawling on the wall. Uh, we then jump to what we assume is sometime later, and Maud is now working as this hospice nurse. Uh, she's doing this voiceover where she's talking to God and asking God to help her find her purpose. And she's gotten this new gig where she's the caretaker of this woman named Amanda, who is kind of like this minor celebrity who is an ex-dancer, uh, but she's dying now and, and Maude is there taking care of her. Uh, what did you think of this whole setup and, and these two characters and, and how they were depicted? I liked the two characters. Um, as they as we learn more about them, It's there's a kind of like a... A clashing there that Maude is very like quiet and kind of meek and prim and proper and Amanda is a bit more loud and audacious and drinks and parties and just a bit more like a what was the word I'm looking for she's she's into enjoying life and all its worldly pleasures sure 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting because uh, you have a few scenes and, and dialogue between those two, but yeah, you're able to gather all of that from like how different their personalities are, and yeah, you, they're they're like two like very different people, uh, which I, I think is really cool, and both feel like somewhat relatable, right? Yeah, I I don't I struggled with the relatability to be honest. Um, I think they're believable as characters. I think they were hard to relate to as characters. Do you feel like um, they were like one note stereotyped in a way? Like maybe, you know, here's, here's the one that's like very like devout in her belief and in like a strong religious beliefs. And here's the atheist who's just like kind of free and flowing. Like, do you think they had enough nuance to them where it wasn't just like kind of that one note stereotype to them? I like, think, were, they, were they flesh out enough? I think as the movie goes on and you have more dialogue with them and more is revealed, they do become more nuanced. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And in, in, in their interactions, but yeah, I, I, I like that you're set up with these two characters who like couldn't be maybe, maybe couldn't be more different in certain ways. Yeah, I think even even once you know more, I think they still have pretty big differences. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, both of them kind of start forming this relationship. Uh, Amanda comes to know of Maud's religious convictions, and Maud tries to talk to her about it. In a way, Amanda, you know, being this uh, art coming from like more of an artistic and uh, that kind of background, she kind of entertains and uh, you know encourages Maud to like tell her more about like you know what she believes in, and gives Maud these uh, books of illustrations uh, that like of old like religious stuff. So I, I kind of feel like she's giving Maud an audience, and this gives Maud the impression that uh, she can help Amanda and like save her soul as this woman is dying, and like that's become like her new purpose. Um, we get this interesting scene where they both are experiencing some kind of religious experience, uh, where Maud is saying like the uh, like the Lord is in the room with them, and they both like breathing breathing really fast, and their hands are touching. What would what, you make of this scene? Yeah. Um... Maud is kind of stricken with these like bouts of God. It's kind of like a minor seizure type thing or an orgasm. Uh, Rose Glass calls them Godgasms. Nice. <laughs> Godgasms. So it's hard to know exactly what's going inside Maud that makes this happen, if it's all psychological or if she actually has some sort of epilepsy and attributes them to God. Um, yeah. There's a little yeah, open-ended so, there. Yeah, that, that, that part I think throughout the whole film is kind of open-ended. It, when, when they tie it with the score there, and, and like you hear like something really scary happening, and then she's having these fits, or like her breathing quickens, uh, it kind of feels like watching a horror film, or like some kind of demonic entity is like coming up on them, right? Yeah, yeah. This is a horror film, one might argue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, but I hear what you're saying. It, it's a... In a movie that takes a long time to reveal itself as a horror movie, it's a tiny taste of horror. Just what her body is going through and her eyes are bulging out of her head and stuff. Exactly. She's exactly. good at being like very meek and meager and then super emotive as well. Right, yeah. Yeah, her her expressions in this area like carry the whole film. So, yeah, Maud's having these fits, and uh, she's trying to get Amanda to uh, convert over with her. Like, she kind of, like, takes on this maybe a bit of a savior complex. Is that a fair description of it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I interpret that as the big event of the movie that typically happens about a third way, 30 minutes into the movie. Like, her big event, the big event isn't some big, uh, you know, like set piece it's it's very internal it's just Maud realizing that 
the purpose she's been waiting for for God to provide is to save Amanda's soul before she dies. And then I think that just determines the course of the rest of the movie. That Maud's got her little mission. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Maud's on a little mission. That should have been the name of the movie. <laughs> Maud's on a little mission. Yeah. Um, and the score would have been totally different and zany <laughs> yeah, and cute. Yeah. A little more upbeat. <laughs> um, I can't remember if this has happened at this specific scene, but I think when they had that godgasm together, mm-hmm. there's maybe a little bit of an implication in the editing that they f- part of the godgasm they're having is an attraction that they feel yeah. for each other. They, they cut to them doing Amanda's stretches and their hands like brushing up against each other. Right. Um, so there's a little bit of a hint of that in the throughout the movie, I think, like a mm-hmm. an attraction to each other. And Amanda typically has a woman come to visit who she pays for sex. So um, yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, Amanda's yeah, into yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, and and I think that puts uh, so, so you, that that's really interesting because I'm not sure you know as you mentioned earlier we don't know sometimes like what. Uh, Maud's actually seeing versus what she's imagining. And yeah, those are really suggestive here that there's some kind of like intimacy growing between these two women. Um, and then I think it also throws into question Maud's intent. Like, is she there trying to save uh, this person uh, from a religious conviction perspective? Or uh, is she there because she's like falling in love with Amanda and, and like, you know, we know she's kind of probably craving intimacy on her own too. Right, right. So kind of puts a question there. Yeah, where's uh, the lines? Yeah, and does exactly. Maud even realize that's what ha- what's happening? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, Amanda is paying this woman. I think her name is Carol uh, to you know come and entertain her, and they have their nights together. Uh, but Maud, uh, who's in full conversion mode, and I think maybe feeling a bit jealous of uh, this relationship because like she spies on them one night. Uh, she tells Carol uh, not to come to the house anymore and like says, oh, Amanda's not well. You, you shouldn't come here and do this to her anymore. So Maude finds out about this and they're at that party. They're at, they're at like a birthday party and uh, they, she confronts uh, Amanda and, and uh, or Amanda com- confronts Maude about this and uh, Maude slaps Amanda and she gets fired. So uh, yeah, pretty 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 like frantic, chaotic buildup here. And, and yeah, that, that kind of like... Uh, uh, it really changes the whole course of the movie from this point. Yeah, it does. And at some point here, we've seen... There's been a couple points where we've seen Maud kind of praying and punishing herself a little bit, or if not punishing herself, just subjecting herself to physical pain mm-hmm. as a means right. to get closer to God. Like she kneels on popcorn seeds to pray, and oh. she burns herself on the stove. Um, oh yeah and then she keeps like picking at that wound i think after Maud calls her out and she slapped or uh, amanda calls her out and she slaps her and gets fired i think there's a pretty hard to watch scene of her like pulling at the skin of her burn i think it's her burn um some wound on her hand to like not let it heal yeah there's your body horror right yeah yeah, that, so that, that's kind of where I feel the film goes now after this is, uh, yeah, after, after she gets fired, you have like this 20 or 30 minute, like almost like a montage, just a sequence where she's just like become this really destructive person. So Maud's been fired. We see her uh, kind of starting to doubt her purpose and faith and like in these narratives that she's having, she's going to bars, she's doing, uh, she's going down or like she's, uh, yeah, messing around with like strangers and in, in, in bars. 
uh, she's trying to connect with people, she's hurting herself, so it becomes like this really kind of like dark, like self-sabotaging, uh, kind of like a destructive uh, film for like 20-25 minutes. Uh, what did you think of all these sequences? Yeah, that was perhaps the darkest part of the movie. Because mm-hmm. you've watched this woman who you think is like really devout and super religious, and you can see that it's not really in a healthy way, and it's self-destructive and perhaps delusional, but then you see this other side of her. You know she recently found religion through some of the dialogue, mm-hmm. and this guy she sleeps with at the bar, <clears throat> or after the bar, after she gives some guy a hand job in the back of the bar, she, he notices, like, she that... she he recognizes her and he's like, I remember you slept with my friend or something like that. Yeah. So it's kind of alluded to that this was maybe a bit of who she was before, like going out to bars, didn't have many friends, was just like sleeping around and Hmm. just searching for something and not really, uh, I don't know, not really having a full life and trying to fill some of her inner emptiness with, you know, acts yeah. that are were not necessarily very fulfilling for her which yeah, is an interesting yeah. contrast because amanda really seems to like soak in like decadence and stuff and she's sleeping with this woman and paying her for money or paying her money to do that and she's defensive about it and doesn't feel any shame about it she's just like i'm dying and like i'm enjoying my life right and um Amanda is doing all, or God, I keep mixing up their names. <laughs> Maude is doing this kind of stuff too, just like cheap sexual yeah. interactions and gaining no pleasure or joy from it. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's that's kind of like a, yeah, that's an interesting parallel uh, to draw there. Yeah. Like a bizarro version of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. In mods, though, I feel like there's, uh, I don't know if you felt this with a man at all, but like in mods, it feels like there's like this desperation to like connect or like right. uh, to, to have some kind of um, connection with, with people around her. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of where I thought she was going in, in these like dark places. And I think Amanda might have some of that, too, because there is some authenticity, I think, mixed with like bitterness and mocking. There is some authenticity to Amanda's curiosity about Maud's spiritual religious journey because she's on the brink of death and she's like sincere, I think, in wondering what's going to happen and and will there be something after death. And I think she doesn't want to be concerned about that, but in some of her more intimate moments, I do think she's being honest with Maud and and telling her she's concerned about that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, th- I think that seems pretty genuine when she's talking about that. Uh, all right, well then, uh, so yeah, we, we have some uh, destructive behavior going on here. <laughs> and then uh, I think for some reason she comes out of it uh, and she f- realizes that um, she's just kind of maybe being tested or something or that she has to like, kind of prove herself. Um, she does this thing where she lines her sneakers up with uh, needles on the insides, like do the body, like a picture of uh, Christ or something, and then she puts them on and like walks around the streets like stabbing herself yeah uh, and she says like never waste your pain which i think is what you're alluding to earlier with how she like you know was torturing herself right yeah i think she uses that pain to get closer to god right right yeah um also something um we haven't touched on yet but when she's having sex with that one dude she's kind of like got his hands on got her hands on his chest and she has a flashback to giving someone cpr 
and having their chest like explode blood on her which is i think of a callback to what happened in the first scene of the movie we saw the aftermath of that but we didn't really know what it was yeah yeah right kind of alluding to her past and uh i will share a quote from rose glass this is referring to a friend of a friend of hers who is a nurse rose says she told me this whole story she was working in the icu for people with lung difficulties and was doing a night shift and there was an old man asleep in one of the beds who'd had a major operation on his chest and his chest had this massive incision down the middle that had been stapled up and he went into cardiac arrest and she called the crash team and while they were running there she began compressions and because he was so delicate and spindly the incision in his chest burst open and her hands went into his chest and squished everything and it all went up in her face and he died and rose says anyway that stuck with me and i asked if i could put it in the film and she said yes damn so that's what that was i didn't really know exactly what went on there but yeah that uh that quote really informs this the flashbacks here sure yeah and that that's a that's a crazy shot like that visual that that they presented there yeah yep and then she freaks out and says saying like no and, and wants to stop having sex and he keeps doing so which then becomes rape yeah. at that point yeah 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 exactly yeah so she's she's in a like a pretty dark uh sad place um what do you think pulls her out though uh where she's like starts to feel hope that like she can still you know come out of this I think she has another godgasm, a pretty extreme one. Um, and this is where she's like kind of levitating in a shot that we often see in publicity for the film. And I think that the pain she felt after her like streak of just going to the bars and getting wasted and not deriving any pleasure, combined with that godgasm and her walking on needles, like got her back. I think what probably got her to God in the first place was this whole experience she had crushing this person's chest cavity. Because it's clear she wasn't religious. And I think she maybe lost her job because of that at the hospital. Oh. So I think she went through this dark time and found religion and she had to like sink down to the bottom again to find it again okay cool yeah i, I didn't realize uh i you know w- watching the film I, I didn't connect uh that she killed uh yeah but before this whole film that like she's coming from a place where she's killed like a, a patient I, I just thought maybe a patient died on her and she's just been like living with that trauma but that makes a lot more sense with uh, that scene than that yeah. she uh, had killed that person by accident yeah and at some point she runs into an old friend on the street that i think used to work with her and she's like oh you're working in private care like do they know what happened yeah. Almost as if yeah. I'm surprised you got hired. Right, right. Which right. really, I mean, this is just an accident. It's not, it, it's not, it shouldn't be pinned on Maud. Katie. Katie also is her real name. She goes by Maud for this palliative care position. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, there's so you, definitely the two two sides of her. And so by now, like, you figured you figure that part out? Like, that uh, that's like her backstory? I knew that there was, I knew some of it. I didn't understand the whole chest collapse type situation. I knew something went wrong at the hospital and assumed she lost her job. But yeah, I understood more about this movie after. Right, right. Yeah, because that that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, So you you have Maud who's like, yeah, worked at a hospital, accidentally killed someone. That's what the movie opened with, that dead body. And uh, this is kind of like her her newly like, uh, like reinvented self trying to come back and like save this person. 
And so, uh, yeah, now she's just kind of coming back to believing in something. And um, one night she ends up hearing this uh, voice of God telling her that she knows what she has to do. And she's seeing these vortexes around as well. And uh, I think there's like hallucinations that are convincing her that like, you know, the Lord is kind of like watching her and telling her to go like do something. So she goes back to see Amanda one night, uh, you know, after being fired and uh, comes into the bedroom and uh, tells Amanda that the Lord is ready to forgive her and tries to rub this holy water on her. Amanda confronts her and is just real with her and tells Maude that uh, the Lord isn't real, nothing matters. Uh, it's just like, you know, telling her to like, you know, get over this, these ideas and notions and things. It's, it's an interesting dialogue that happens there. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, did you, did you like that, that back and forth? I think it is a good back and forth. And I think that Amanda still like struggles a little bit with her atheism. And I think maybe it strikes a chord or hits a nerve with Amanda that, Mod says like you were lost because I do think Amanda has struggled with depression in the past Maude discovers through some research so I, I don't think Amanda is quite as confident in her atheism and approach to her life as she tries to appear to be but even so I, I don't I still think she's she is who she is yeah, I kind of just assume this is the perspective of someone like on their deathbed who's just like, uh, you know, tired of, of life and everything and uh, just, I don't know, uh, sees this one person being like all uh, trying to convert them and like, I don't know, maybe at that point you like, that's like the last thing you want to hear. Right, right. Um, yeah, because she, she mocks Maude a little bit for her religion too. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, so at this point, suddenly Amanda turns into a devil or like starts like taunting Maud in like this demonic voice and it and tries to attack her. Maud uh, grabs a knife and stabs her repeatedly and, and ends up killing her. Um, all uh, this was all like a hallucination on Maud's part, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the way I interpret it because Amanda says something that really I can't remember what her exact sentence is, but it really makes Maud doubt her faith for a brief moment. And then her way to rationalize it to herself is, no, this is the devil tempting me. And yeah. she then perceives Amanda as the devil. Right, right. So Which kills, was kind of cool. Kills yeah, yeah, I like this scene. It was like, it finally felt like, like, yeah, this movie that was going like really slow and like uh, a lot of like kind of dark, slow scenes. And then suddenly like this type of, uh, you know, supernatural kind of, uh, or like some kind of attack. Kind yeah, of scene, it kind of f- finally felt like, a true blue horror movie for a moment. Yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, the next day, our, our final shot is uh, Maud. She walks onto the beach in daylight, uh, lights herself on fire as she's uh, envisioning these wings that are kind of forming around her. And the last thing we see right before the credits kick in is Maud just like burning uh, alive and screaming on the beach. Right, what we've and been then, seeing is kind of Maud through Maud's vision of herself as an angel ascending into heaven and then we get this yeah. like half a second of what's actually happening which is Maud screaming in agony as she burns to death yeah pretty and, dark and what a what yeah what, what a crazy like shot to just like flash in her face like here's this woman on fire yeah That's yeah sad. and what's mostly been a pretty like quiet subdued movie the last split second is just the the roar of the flames and her scream Right. So it's very abrupt and harsh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think it hits pretty hard. Um, So yeah, what did you think of this film? Well, 
It's got all the trappings of a movie I typically don't enjoy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am just a little bit sick of this artsy drama um, trend in horror. I I don't want to be disparaging of it. It's just not my favorite type of movie. And they just seem to be... seems like there's a lot of them. Um, I just think they're kind of... They tend to run depressing with characters that aren't necessarily that likable. They have nary an uplifting scene in the entirety of the movie. Um, I don't know. I just feel like lately we've seen a lot of like these quiet, soft-spoken characters who are hard to relate to in a quiet setting in like an old artsy house and nothing really happens for the first hour of the movie. Um, it's It gives me the feel of like watching a period piece that happens in the present. Does that make any sense? It's like you're watching a movie that happened like 300 years ago, even though it's supposed to be in present time. Yeah, I had that in my notes. Like, I, I couldn't tell what uh, time period this was for a long time, but then they, they do show, like, some uh, shots of, like, uh, when she goes into the town and stuff. So that's the only uh, clue that, like, there are, there are, like, modern people and things going on. But, yeah, other, otherwise it does feel, like, very, like, old school and, like, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, old uh, in terms of, like, when it was shot. Like, I, I would have guessed, like, early 1900s or something. Yeah, right. I think it's just that everyone's so, like, quiet and restrained. Yeah. Um, and the dialogue right. is very rigid a lot of the times. And there's not that much dialogue typically in these type of movies. Sure, sure, and yeah, your main character, like I, I think, with some of her beliefs and the way that she talks, it definitely like kind of uh, harks back to some of those uh, old old school types of dialogue. Yeah. So as much as I agree that the term elevated horror is disparaging, like I do think it's a bucket. <laughs> it's a, it's a way to describe a bucket of movies better than I've heard described, even though I don't like or agree with the term. Um. But are, are you confusing elevated horror with like a was it like grief, uh, grief torture, grief horror, or something? What we've been calling misery porn. Oh yeah, misery porn. Yeah. No, but I think they like, often overlap. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I wouldn't call this misery porn exactly, but um, it's it it's got similar vibes. Um, but I do really like the performances especially from Morphid and and from, um, what's her name, Amanda? Jennifer Ely. They're both really great performances, and I thought there was a lot of nuance in their relationship. That made things interesting. Um, it was interesting to watch Ma's journey, but it was also just kind of hard to watch her journey too, right? You feel sorry for her. Yeah, you feel really sorry for her. Even though she's kind of hard to like in some instances as well. And Amanda is hard to like as well because she's mean. She's mean to Maude quite a couple of times. Yeah. That's so interesting because I I thought like uh, I liked and felt like I could uh, relate with both of the characters here. Like Maude, I I agree with like on on paper, she seems like, uh, you know, like this very uh, close-minded you know, uh, person, but then like the way they gave her that backstory of like who she used to be and then why she is like the way that she is, I thought really well kind of explained her trajectory and it was a cool kind of character arc to like drive her to like kind of the, what she ends up doing at the end. And then on the, on the, on the other hand, uh, Amanda, I thought like felt like really real and, and relatable for someone like, you know, late forties, early fifties who's like on the way out, just kind of questioning life and trying to like live up like the last few parties or whatever. So, uh, 
Yeah, I, I kind of like them both. I'm surprised they didn't like it either of the characters. Yeah, I don't know why. I just I just didn't like them. Um, they're not totally unlikable, and I'm glad that you related to them. And I, yeah, I hear what you're saying about Amanda. And I think her character was 42. Okay. Um, there was wow, a bit so of a like, great Gatsby vibe to Amanda. I don't know why. Oh, with the parties that she would throw and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, she had an artistic flair. Yeah. And the like ultimate loneliness, even though she's having these parties and friends over all the time. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing I discovered in my research, you mentioned that book that Amanda gives to Maud with like the paintings in it, the religious paintings and stuff. That is a book by William Blake. I'm not entirely sure what book it is. I think maybe it was The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. But William Blake was an English poet and painter from like the late 1700s, early 1800s. And from what very little I learned about him in researching this, he seems to be of the mindset that excess and like worldly pleasures can be a sense can be a path to god in a way he had a quote that says the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom um which really reminded me of amanda right kind of in her mentality of things but he also had visions of god and angels and even claims to have seen satan once and a lot of people consider that realistically he was probably mentally ill so it's interesting, like, these two sides of William Blake seem to be mirrored in Amanda and Maude, right? Amanda having living this decadent life of worldly pleasures and Maude seeing these visions and clearly having probably some sort of mental illness. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Yeah, they took one person, made him into two people, and made a movie out of it. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, did did uh, Rose talk about that in any of the interviews? I didn't hear Rose say that, but I just, I don't know if that was deliberate or happenstance, but I thought it was interesting. Mm. Okay, okay. I just yeah, heard her no, mention uh, that that was a William Blake book in an interview, so I, I dug into William Blake. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. But what did you think uh, of this movie? Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think, uh, obviously, the acting uh, in, in this from both of the leads was incredible, and I, I think carried the whole movie. I actually thought uh, visually and musically uh, really sharp as well. Like, we talked about the score, uh, added, like, so much dread throughout, um, and visually, like, the shots were great. You had, like, a lot of, like, scenes where uh, you felt like something sinister was happening, and the camera work did a, a great job of uh, building that intensity. But uh, yeah, the, the pacing was slow, and yeah, it makes me wonder about like you know your, your critique here too, where like these movies are just um, you know like a lot of people talking quietly, not a lot, not a lot happening on screen. But um, I think I started to appreciate it more after and like reading about it, and then I, I kind of like watched some of it again, and uh, it is like very nuanced in, in the characters and their dialogue together, and uh, just the overall trajectory of, of both the characters, and I, I think that's kind of like a cinematic feat. Uh, that they accomplished between you, know, you didn't have a bunch of characters in this film so it was very focused and then the two characters they did have were just like so different but complement each other in very interesting ways and then um the story of like how uh anything like it, it's not just like religion but like anything can like drive someone to be so convinced of it and that they need to convince other people of it that they would go to like that length i thought it was like a very real like kind of uh uh Set not a, not a satire, but uh, comments on like society, I guess, at, at certain points. Yeah. So I, I thought it worked on like a lot of different levels. I think so too. And I actually did the same thing. I didn't have time to watch the whole movie again, but I watched the first half hour or so again. And 
definitely appreciate appreciated it more after learning more about the movie and just knowing what I was going into. Yeah, yeah, right. It is a nuanced the first movie time... that probably bears, I don't know, it doesn't need a second viewing, but it's only an hour and 24 minutes, so it certainly doesn't right. hurt. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the first time you're watching this, you're just wondering, like, what's going on, like, who's going to jump in, or when does, like, the demon come in or something. Right. And then the second time when you watch it, you kind of like, all right, you know, it's, like, about these two people and in uh, Maude, and, like, what she's, what she's going to do. Right. So I, I think there's some, some of that that helps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but I, I hear like like pacing. Uh, I, I struggled with that. I mean, do you, do you feel like eighty four minutes felt uh, long for the storyline? <laughs> you know what? It it should have felt an eighty four minute movie normally would feel shorter than this. So it is the type of movie that is a little slow. Um, yeah. So even though I appreciated it more, and I was able to sit back and pick up more and just enjoy it more like on my second run through of just a little bit that I saw again it still wasn't necessarily an enjo- it was enjoyable but it wasn't like a great time at the movies <laughs> not that this movie should yeah. be but it's not yeah. necessarily it's just you know it's quiet and nuanced and there's n- not much charm or anything like that to it it's uh I sound like such a rube when I'm like, this isn't happy or exciting. (laughs) But it's just, it's not my preferred viewing experience. Yeah. I am who I am. Yeah, I feel feel the same. It's hard because I I feel like on every metric, like this movie, like, uh, does really well. Like, great cinematography, great acting, great visuals, great uh, uh, score and everything. But yeah, for some reason, I I think it probably just comes down to like a taste preference then, right? Yeah, it totally. That's my personal taste. But yeah, I will echo that. The production values were really high. And right, uh, right. yeah, she said in that interview, Rose said, I didn't verify this in their filmographies, but Rose said that it was the composer's first film, the director of photography's first film, and the production wow. di- designer's second film. So that's incredible. They all did top notch yeah. work, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. I'm excited to see what else they come up with. Yeah. Yeah, that last um, shot especially was. Uh, that was a, a great way to end a movie. Yeah, so powerful. I feel like that and, could become a minorly famous ending to a movie. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh it was yeah, it's it had like the uplifting ending of like uh like a midsummer or something in a way. Right. But then like yeah, that last shot of like a of just like pure like uh, death and like agony. Right, yeah. Well. It's like through one main character's perspective, it's not it's not so bad, but in reality what's happening is horrible. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Through one main character's, you know, debatably yeah. warped perception. Exactly. It was a pretty warped perception. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to jump to our rating then? Yeah, let's do it. Give me a scale. One to five uh, godgasms. <laughs> would you give this one? Perfect. Um, I give it. I gave it a three after watching. I'm tempted to give it a 3.5 after learning more about the movie and researching and discussing but I tend to go mm-hmm. with my gut, so I'm sticking with my three. Three godgasms, okay. how about you? Well, yeah, I know, I was saying, like, after I watched it, I was, I was pretty bummed out and, and not terribly impressed, but then, yeah, I rewatched some of it, read about it, and so I, I, I bumped that up to 3.5 uh, godgasms. All right, good, I'm glad you did. Um, right. You know, I really, I, I loved that part where Amanda appeared as the devil. I kind of wish it had gone on a little bit longer. Oh, yeah. Maude kills yeah. her pretty quick after that, which is probably was really best for the movie and the goal of the movie, but 
it was mm-hmm. i was just so excited to get a pure horror moment at that point in time. <laughs> i know in a movie that was like all build-ups and like no horror moments like yeah, yeah that, that, they could have milked that a little bit more right um yeah i, I don't know i mean it, it, i was surprised they had like some constraint there and just like really gave you a glimpse of it i wonder if that was like purposeful like we don't want people to you know like they, they I, I almost feel like you know how sometimes i feel this way like as a radiohead fan sometimes like they'll have like some artists will like hit like something which sounds really good or like uh it's like really catchy but they they kind of like know it is and so they don't want to like uh play to that too much <laughs> um i i wonder if like that, that that's what they were thinking here is like they know people like were waiting for this and this is like what everything is building up to but they don't want to like fall into that trope or something yeah yeah some might call that restraint and some might call that pretentiousness <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you tell us <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. yeah, please tell us. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, any, anything else? No, no, I'm ha- I'm happy with a 3.25 average. Let us know what y'all thought of this movie. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear some other views on this. Yeah. All right, well, that is it for our discussion on St. Maud. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show, and we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord, so you can join us and some other horror fans uh, to talk about this episode or other horror things and non-horror things. Uh, We also have a Patreon page in case you want to support the show. You can find that at patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. Our logo is done by MMA Pop Art, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're looking for a reliable home healthcare professional, make sure to check out their Google reviews and make sure they aren't set out uh, to save your soul or anything fancy like that. <laughs> Came here for a routine medical procedure, had my chest caved in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bye bye bye. <laughs>